Hello strangers and welcome back to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, welcome back. We've been off for a while so it's good to be back. How are you sir? Yeah, I mean that's kind of an understatement isn't it really? We have been off for absolutely ages. I mean it's probably been four or five weeks since we recorded a show proper uh, for this and um, well... Should we get into that, man? I mean, I don't know how how deep you want to go, how far behind the curtain you want to go on this. But from my side, at least one or two of those weeks um, resulted were a result of, uh, from my end of this conversation, uh, my wife got ill and she is now doing much better. But it was a bit of a sketchy time. So it just wasn't it just wasn't going to be viable, really, to fit the show in for me in that period of time. Um, but how about you, man? Have you been all good or well or healthy by and large? Yeah, not too, not too bad. Uh, I've been uh, working less because I've still furloughed a little bit. So I've been playing a lot of um, <laughs> Final Fantasy XIV online. Uh, so I've become an MMORPG nerd over the past few weeks. So it's good to get back and do something other than play video games. That, that being said, I've watched quite a few films. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm doing okay. As I said, it's I'm glad, uh, I'm glad Fran's doing better from the sound of things. So that's all good. So yeah, it's good to be it's good to be back in the hot seat yeah and i mean within that gap i have spoken to you and i have sort of seen you quote unquote in the way that we do these days which is sort of over video link because you had a birthday and you had like the most stressful birthday at least from my point of view <laughs> in the sense that it was a really good time don't get me wrong but in the sense that we did it as a zoom conversation with what to me seemed like about 30 people i don't know how many people were actually there but like an endless number of people in that conversation. Yeah, there was a few people on the Zoom. It's quite good fun. I think with with Zooms of that size, we try. You know, we had activities, we had quizzes, we had a spinny wheel. So I think that keeps people engaged. But um, it was nice to see a lot of faces. Um, at one point, you did recommend breakout rooms, if I remember rightly. And in my head, I was like, no, people will drop off. Yeah, like, people will slowly drop off of Zoom, and then uh, yeah, you're left with a hardcore probably four or five at about three in the morning. So it was uh, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, although weren't you actually left with a hardcore three or four at about four in the morning in the end? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it came around anyway. Uh, but well, I don't have far to go home, so it's fine. True, true story. Yeah, you can just roll right into bed after that. Yeah, literally just rolled out of this chair into bed, yeah. Uh, we, we should also acknowledge the fact, Paul, that since the last time we recorded, at least here in the UK where the podcast is based, we've had the movement, or I guess a step on the roadmap, as it's called, to coming out of complete lockdown in the sense that we're now allowed to meet with uh, up to six people or two households outdoors. This isn't like a public service announcement, but just to say it does change things a little bit, not so much in terms of the show for right now, but just in terms of the way that I feel. I mean, how are you doing with the the small change that we've had so far? Oh, it was nice. I mean, I mean, the first thing I did, I went to <laughs> I went to the park with people from work. So that was, um, I think that was on the first day. But yeah, it was that really hot Tuesday. It's nice just to know you can do it. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, it's made a bit of a difference. And then I went out on... Got on my bike again 
Easter Sunday did 17 kilometers, I think, uh, which nearly killed me, I'll be honest, because it's been a long time since I've ridden my bike. But then we went to the park afterwards, sat down, someone else came to meet us. It's bizarre. It felt, felt like it's, 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 it's surprisingly how, in the grand scheme of life, this isn't a long period of time, but it's amazing how much it drags, I think. And I think it's coupled, this lockdown, coupled with winter, I think has been probably worse for me than the first lockdown. Yeah, and I mean, then looking forward, I guess tentatively, we've got, what now, less than a week until you've got gyms opening, outdoor drinking, if I'm right, like yeah. pub pub gardens and that kind of stuff, uh, shops, uh, non-essential retail shops and stuff. And all this sounds pretty minor, but like after the year or more that we've had, these are big things, man. Like I just joined a new gym um, knowing that I can go for the first time in a week when that opens back up. And that's really exciting to me because we've been restricted for the most part for a year to sort of walking around a bit, or maybe, yeah, as you've done, you can do a bit of cycling perhaps on your own or with <laughs> once one, in eight months. Yeah. yeah with, <laughs> with like a person possibly, but not yeah. in a group. And, and now it feels like we're getting towards some of the things that we really love coming back. And I mean, we got to wrap this up by saying then that one of the things that we love maybe above most others is going to the cinema and with things being well, that shouldn't be too long off either. We're, 17th of May. Yeah, mid-May. Mid so but. it's within sort of sight at this point. So I don't want to curse anything and I'll touch the wood on my desk, but let's hope that in just over a month's time, we in fact are able to say that for the show, you know, we're going to get back to it and start watching a ridiculous number of films in the cinema because I, I can't wait for that. Agreed. I mean, I'm worried. Do I go back to the gym? I mean, I can barely lift this coffee cup, Pete, at the moment. So <laughs> I'm not sure what the gym's going to not sure what the gym's going to do for me. But hey-ho. But yes, hopefully cinemas on the 17th of May. Hopefully all the cinemas we had before. But let's be positive. All the cinemas are going to reopen at full strength on the 17th of May. That's what we're excited about. But something else has happened in the time we've been off air um, and we might have missed the boat on this one but the Oscar nominations have come out Pete um, I don't think you can miss the boat on the Oscar nominations if you do a film podcast the, the, um, the, the event so. hasn't happened yet so we're fine no, right? but yeah, yeah, we're not talking about the nominations after the awards so that's a good thing <laughs> yeah so I mean talking about this coming into doing this episode my sort of headline point for myself I guess is that I just feel as I do most years to be honest with the Oscar noms that I've got a lot of catching up to do before the ceremony swings around because when I look at best picture, I can pick out, what, two, three, three, three or four, maybe, of the uh, long list of nominations that I've actually seen. I think you're doing a bit better on that front, which is no huge surprise to listeners of this show, I'd imagine. Um, but one thing that, that did come up, Paul, is this idea that maybe in the UK we're at quite a disadvantage when it comes to the nominations right massively massively disadvantaged um i mean i'm lucky enough to have seen nomadland in another round as i mentioned before at a film festival um some of the others i may have seen gleaned using a vpn uh i'll, I'll be honest um but um yeah like the, the fact that it feels like with film releases it feels like we've gone back in time to like almost like the sort of late 90s where the US gets films like six sort of six months ahead um I get that it's locked down so cinematic releases have been delayed but with streaming services out there there seems to be no reason that you can't have everything day and date at the same time um it would discourage piracy without a shadow of doubt if you could launch it on the streaming services and it just seems a little bit bizarre I think the the Guardian did a list the other day of where you can see where you can sort of legitimately see um the oscar nominations at the moment and the vast majority just aren't out over here yet so i mean nomadland is now coming to disney plus i think in 
June, possibly June. Uh, Promising Young Woman Doesn't Drop is finally coming to the UK uh, on Sky Cinema on the 16th of April. Uh, Minari, I don't think, is out over here yet. I might be mistaken. Um, another round is June. I may have mentioned that. No, I didn't think I mentioned that. Another round is June. Um, uh, there's, there's loads. I can't think of uh, the others aren't jumping has, out. Has Sound of Metal had a, uh, a release here yet? Sound of Metal's not here out here yet. I don't yeah, think because I'm that keen. Was supposed to be going to Prime and then got pushed back to it and then got pushed for a cinematic release, which would be great. But then I think they're holding on to it for a cinematic release. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, it's just it's it seems silly. It just seems like a silly decision when you know you've got the world is so much more interconnected now than it was back when we had these huge release windows. And then it seems that the studios caught up, got wise to it, and released everything around the world at the same time. Um, but the 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 bigger issue I find now is not necessarily the delay in release dates, but the fact that as everyone is so much more connected, the chances of avoiding spoilers for these films is is harder and harder. Mm. The more sites that get them, the more things that review them, the more chance you're going to have of happening across spoilers. So I think something needs to change, and whether HBO Max needs to come out over here or but then it's not just hbo max it's no madeline coming to disney plus so i don't know i don't know what the why the distribution deals are happening this way um what jumps out i mean for me jumping at going back to the nominations themselves i think chloe Zhao's well deserved for nomadland it's a fantastic film um she's an incredible director um i think that's that's a shoe in to be honest yeah i mean looking at that list so for people who don't know the long list for best picture is uh, made up of The Father, Judas and The Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, uh, Sound of Metal and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And of those there, I've seen, as I say, a handful of them. Uh, Chicago 7, I think, is is fine. I, I OK, uh, it's a, a nomination. That's fine. I, I think it would be pretty ludicrous if that was best picture. But I mean, it's the Oscars. I don't really have skin in the game. Um, then Promising Young Woman, I think, is... Uh, good piece of work that I think flounders a little bit um, towards its final act. Uh, maybe more on that when we get to feature review it. Um, again, find that it's there uh, for me. And uh, Mank, I think, is incredibly well staged um, and I think worthy of award nomination, award sort of uh, nods. But again, it didn't blow me, blow me away. So, I mean, from what you've been saying, Paul, I need to get to Nomadland, certainly, because it sounds like that might be a front runner. But for you, would that currently be your best picture? I think so, yeah, in in, in all honesty. Um, I, d I don't think Judas and the Black Messiah belongs on that list, I'll be honest, controversially, because a lot of people have gone mad for it. I think the, the pacing of that film falls off a cliff about the hour mark and a sort of two-hour film starts to feel like a three-hour one. I think the performances are fantastic. Um, I think you know a lot of it is is well made, but it just it didn't do it for me. I was left a little bit cold by Judas and the Black Messiah, to be honest. I'm quite surprised, quite surprised to see that on there. In all honesty, yeah, I've heard um, good things about Minari though. Have you seen that as well? Minari's fantastic. Um, very very gentle, very very um, sweet kind of touching film. Um, again, I don't think it will win, uh, but it's it's a very good film. I think it's definitely a deserving deserving nomination for sure mm. or nominee. Sorry. Yeah. And then, I mean, anything else to pick up? I mean, we've got best director is uh, Thomas Vinterberg for another round, David Fincher for Mank, uh, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. A standout for you from those for director? It's got to be Chloe Zhao again, to be honest. Yeah. She's just Her debut's coming to Mubi on Friday, I think, which is quite exciting. But The Rider was superb. She's just an incredible filmmaker, I think, um, without a doubt. 
Um, very, very understated, very, very subtle filmmaker. And Francis McDormand's performance is, is fantastic. So um, Nomadlander would say is the standout. Um, yeah, Promising Young Woman I, I enjoyed, but I don't think it's, I don't think, I think she may well be an Oscar-winning director in future. I think there's a lot of promise there, but I don't think this is the film to win it for her, to be honest. Do you think she's a promising young woman, Paul? Indeed, yeah. <laughs> then uh, Best Actor in a Leading Role, we've got Riz Ahmed for Son of Metal, which I know you've caught up with, uh, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, which I haven't seen, Gary Oldman in Mank, and Stephen Yun in Minari. What stands out? Uh, Stephen Young and Riz Ahmed stand out for me in that list. And we'll probably wrap it up with Actress in a Leading Role, uh, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's, uh, Andra May for The United States versus Billie Holiday, which I haven't seen. Have you seen that yet? I've not seen either of those, actually. Ma Rainey's Black... There's no excuse for me. I moan about release dates, and then Ma Rainey's Black Bottom's been on Netflix since, what, September last year? So yeah, I've got indeed. no excuse on that one. Yeah, you're right, and I haven't seen it either. <laughs> and Billie Holiday's on Sky Cinema as well, as it happens. Is that so, right? Yeah. Oh, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll catch it. Uh, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, which we talked about on the show, uh, featured on the show. Uh, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. And just say that she just don't say that she looked like she was wearing drag in that role. Um, who who should win? Francis McDormand was great. I really still think Vanessa Kirby's performance is that first half an hour of Pieces of a Woman is one of the most incredible pieces of cinema you will see all year, no matter what you think of the rest of the film. And a lot of that is down to Vanessa Kirby's performance. So I, I, I can I don't know. I'd probably quite like it to go for Vanessa Kirby just for that half an hour alone to be honest because it was great well great is the wrong the wrong word but yeah it was an experience yeah so I mean more on this in due course obviously we'll cover the Oscars when they come around what's the date of the Oscars this year I think it's uh end of the month I think might be mistaken okay um any snubs for you Pete that you that sort of jumped out at you that you thought um, should be nominated and weren't or people that you thought should be nominated and weren't the, I know that when we've discussed is The Five Bloods The Five Bloods got one nomination for a best original score I think or soundtrack and um, deserve more I think particularly and I'm not meaning this as a slight but particularly looking at some of the other projects that have made it onto lists uh, for the Oscars I think that yeah that they would be well deserved um, and, and we talked about Delroy Lindo as well in that uh, bracket yeah Delroy Lindo Dora Linda's absolutely incredible in that film. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's an oversight, shall we say, or a snub as it's described as these days. The uh, awards are on, yeah, the 26th of April, just to fill that in. Okay. Um, so and for you, that. any particular snub or snubs? Uh, well, we're talking about it later, but Taha Rahim's performance in The Mauritanian I thought was absolutely incredible. He's an actor that I'm a huge fan of, and I thought that certainly deserved a nomination for, for sure. Um, and probably Spike Lee for Five Bloods, to be honest. Um, I'm surprised to see him not on the list. feels like maybe they're giving... They've deliberately tried to give it to give newer filmmakers, newer up-and-coming filmmakers more of a chance this year, um, which is an interesting approach to take because there's not a huge amount of sort of veteran established names on the list of list of nominees this year in terms of directors anyway. Um, but yeah, Taha Rahim probably is the big one for me because I thought that performance was was fantastic. But we'll talk more about that uh, in due course later in the show. We will indeed. So um, anyone who's new to the show, welcome. What we've done there is a little chit chat that we usually call in the foyer and just didn't call it anything today. Uh, but we <laughs> step forward into the next section of the show just after a break. That is called Popcorn Movies. We'll talk about the films we've been watching. What would usually be the films we've been watching in the last seven days? In this case, 
some of the uh, more select seven weeks. Yeah, the more select <laughs> films from about a month's worth of uh, film watching within our own home. So that's coming up after this. Also, I should say, coming up later on the show, we've got a double feature. The films that we will feature today are what, Paul? Uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Yes, very excited to talk about that. One of my most anticipated films of the year. Judge me, I don't care. Uh, and uh, Kevin McDonald's latest, The Mauritanian, uh, which we talked about briefly in the... Um, Oscar snubs, I guess, uh, section. So yeah, looking forward to getting into those films. So yeah, that's all coming up, but we'll take a break now. We'll be back with Popcorn Movies right after this. So welcome back. Uh, this, as Pete said before the break, is a section we call Popcorn Movies. Um, so we've limited it to four films. Um, you'll be pleased to know. So we've not gone like we've not gone with everything that we've watched since we've been off. Um, so yeah, we're going to do four films each. Uh, I'll open proceedings. Actually, no, Pete, you you go first. I'm feeling generous, Pete. Oh well, thank you so <laughs> very much. Uh, the first one I've got is. Uh, on Netflix now, because, uh, you know, we do you a service on this show. Um, we don't want any thanks. It's cool. But trying to find things also that people might be able to see is one of our priorities. And one of those things that you can see right now on Netflix is Made You Look, a true story about fake art. It's one of the kind of documentaries that I think a lot of people are drawn to. And I'm amongst those people. Uh, you know, you've got this hook that it's going to be some sort of... Um, some, some sort of series of shady dealings. And in this case, focused around the um, exchanging of artworks in a particular US-based art gallery that started taking pieces from a particular vendor, a particular um, link in the chain, I suppose, who suddenly was able to offer up a load of what they said were original like um i i'm gonna be out of my depth if i talk about art i reckon but um your wife would know but like <laughs> what what were they called is that expressionist where you've got like a block of color and another block of color above i'm it, gonna say yes for example hope that she doesn't listen to the show and prove me wrong <laughs> yeah yeah it's not strangers in an art gallery i can say that much but uh yeah so the the point is here not unlike that one sour grapes that i reviewed a while ago that's also on netflix which is about a guy faking um bottles of elite you know um vintage wine in this case you know that the con is kind of on and it's just going to unravel through the course of the documentary it's pretty interesting stuff not least because um michael hammer crops up as a powerful moneyed art collector who is of course the father of one recently disgraced cannibal, Army Hammer, which is weird because I'd not really been aware. Are you aware of isn't this he, guy? Isn't he behind the arm, arm and hammer toothpaste? Is this not? Is this not where his all Army Hammer's money comes from? Or have I just made that up? I've got. A is that right? That. I think you might have. I think you might have made that up. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I mean, Google it. We keep reviewing the know. film. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in this in this film, anyway, he's he's an art collector, but maybe he's an art collector on the side of producing toothpaste. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? The murky world of those guys. But yeah, it's pretty engaging stuff. Um, it ticks along at a clip. It's an hour and a half. Uh, if you're halfway interest, interested in sort of cons and shady dealings, then uh, Made You Look, a true story about fake art, is pretty much worth he your time. He is the son of businessman Michael Armand Hammer and the great-grandson of oil tycoon Armand Hammer. So he is the heir to the Armand Hammer fortune. That's Army but, Hammer. But but Arm and Hammer being Arm and Hammer. Yes. They're the same thing. Yes. Oh. I didn't know that. Yeah. There well, we there, there we go. Toothpaste and art. You yeah. Know, I mean, we won't be talking about it for much longer because he screwed his chances of further fame by being what it sounds like an asshole. But hey ho. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's putting it fairly lightly. <laughs> yes. But um, 
Yeah. So that's my first one, Paul. What have you got first for this week? Uh, so I have. This is goes back to when we used to do that. What do you mean you've never seen? Uh, for me, one of those films was always The Godfather Part 3. I think I've watched parts one and two probably two or three times and never got round to part three. I've no idea why I never watched part three. I know it wasn't never been as widely well regarded as, as parts one and two but i'd watched the first two with my wife had not seen them before which was quite exciting really enjoyed those and yeah godfather part three so i was quite excited to see this for the first time and i quite like this pete i'll be honest i can understand the criticism of why people don't like it um it's a very 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 different film to parts one and two it was made in what well, made in 1990 released in 1991 i think so um it's got a very different feel about it i think there's there are moments where the sort of action is is a bit overblown and ridiculous. Um, the pacing of the film is very very different. It's it's a quicker film um, than parts one and two, and and a very very different film. I think the performances are still fantastic. Um, Pacino as as ever is still sort of screen chewingly brilliant here. Um, Andy Garcia's good, um, if a little over the top in places. Um, but I, I think it's it's an enjoyable film. It's just a very different one. And I think Sofia Coppola is not good, though. I have to say that is if you if people have, I imagine have heard about Sofia Coppola's performance in this, it's appalling. Um, and hope it, it's definitely a case of nepotism rather than auditioning for the part. There's no doubt in there. But when it works, I think The Godfather Part 3 works really, really well. There's some spectacular set pieces. The opera house scene towards the end is, is edge-of-your-seat stuff. I think it's really, really well made. It just doesn't feel like a Godfather film. It feels like... I don't. It's, it's bizarre. It's got the same characters. It's the same director. It just doesn't feel like part of the same trilogy. So... I'm intrigued. There is a there is a God the Godfather coder. I think now there's a recut of it. I know doing the rounds at the moment, which apparently has been tightened up a bit. So, uh, we'll probably get to that at some point, probably sooner than I got to the Godfather part three originally. But yeah, I didn't hate it as much as a lot of people do. I did still enjoy it, but it is not as good as parts one and two. The only franchise to have two entries receive Oscar nominations for best picture, Godfather and Godfather two. Factoid for you there, Paul. That one's free. Um, I suppose there weren't many others that were going to be strong contenders in that particular no. category. Uh, Not the Transformers films, anyway. <laughs> for me, uh, the next one for this week is a film called Thank You for Your Service, which is currently available on Sky Cinema and probably elsewhere, I'm, I'm sure, too. Um, this is one that kind of went under my radar. It's Directed by first-time feature director Jason Hall. Jason Hall, uh, known more so as an actor and rather, I guess, appropriately for the subject matter of this film, was an actor uh, who played Cowboy in American Sniper, a movie that I, uh, at least to my own mind, famously absolutely despised. <laughs> but um, don't let that put you off necessarily what we've got here. Uh, this one stars a couple of interesting names, I think, in, in terms of being... Um, uh, you know, names that the show appreciates in the form of particularly Miles Teller, but then also Joe Cole, an actor who's done really good work. Um, what was that one? Uh, Prayer Before Dawn. Is that right? Yes. Oh, the uh, fighting one. Yeah. Kickboxing one. It was really good. But um, and he was in a Black Mirror episode and so on and so forth. But uh, yes, in addition, we've got support from Hayley Bennett. Hayley Bennett, of course, was in Swallow, which was my movie of last year. Um, I like her a great deal. She doesn't have much to do here. So basically, we've got the story of a small group of soldiers who return from Afghanistan. They've been in active service for the US military. On returning home, they struggle with 
the um, shift in gears, the, the sort of dramatic shift in gears between active service and civvy street life. Um, and at certain points, there is some um, formal craft to the way that this is portrayed. Um, there's kind of moments where they start to crack up a little bit. We almost get shots overset on other shots rather than just flashbacks, as is the norm with this kind of material. You've got kind of fractured images, um, maybe a shaky camera, maybe disorientation coming over in some of those pieces of the movie. But all in all, what this thing equates to is, a, I, I kind of hate to say it, it's like a fairly run-of-the-mill guys have PTSD after service movie. And I mean, maybe that's not something that everybody has encountered so often as I feel that I have, but I think you've got to do a little bit more with it. You've got to go a little bit further or a little bit deeper. And I'm not sure that this film does, even though Miles Teller is perfectly good in the leading role. And I think, I mean, a guy who who's done very little wrong in recent years, I think, in terms of, uh, you know, central performances. Uh, yeah, I just wish there was a bit more to it um and it and it just kind of fizzles a little bit i think um it's well reviewed it's got a 68 meta score at this point if you're interested in a sort of military-based drama and particularly the psychological ramifications of service then check it out but i think there are better movies of this kind paul what have you got next uh zach snyder's justice league it's finally out we finally got there we talked about this i think when it was first announced i think when we'd guessed mark mark was on the show hosting at the time or with us i think we were talking about the the idea of a director getting another shot at his at his film um there's a long history to that we've talked about that i'm not going to go into that now i'm just going to talk about how the how all four hours of zach snyder's justice league turns out um i'll be honest my knives were sharpened for this i was ready not to enjoy it but from the fact that He'd already prepped a black and white version from the fact that he's released it in an IMAX aspect ratio, even though it's going straight onto a home streaming service. I thought, okay, this feels very self-indulgent to me. Um, and by the fact it's four hours long. Um, now, all of those things are, are in essence, probably true of this film, I'll be honest. But the headline is, it's a damn sight better than the um, Joss Whedon version. Um, it's a lot more enjoyable. Um, it earns its set pieces, um, which are still chaotic, but look, again, a damn sight better than the original theatrical cut. I mean, it looks like there's parts where it looks like a different film, like the YouTube the YouTube comparison videos. If you watch them afterwards, it blows you away just by how much better this version of this film looks. Um, does it need to be four hours? Probably not. Is there a chapter two is probably the worst offender of Snyder's exposition, um, which just feels like an hour of exposition. But it's a fun film and Justice League wasn't that. The characters are definitely given more time to shine. Flash has more screen time here. Ray Fisher as Cyborg does a decent job. And again, going back to just going back to um, what I said earlier is it earns its set pieces here, Pete. And that's what's great because it's that much longer and there is more story. There's more context given. By the time Superman finally comes back, you're sitting there going, where's Superman? I want to see fucking Superman. So when he does come back, you're like, yeah, you give it a cheer. And it feels like it earns its kind of last hour of CGI chaos more so than it did before. It's neither a masterpiece, as some people will have you believe, like anyone that's been campaigning for it, nor is it a complete disaster. What it is, is a fun four-hour enjoyable superhero romp and i'm the last person i would have thought sitting here going check it out it's quite a good time well fair enough and i mean i i've sort of teetered on the precipice of uh, <laughs> setting aside four hours for that their project i mean i do find um i guess my slightly uh, snide 
uh, feeling about this is that uh, the, the whole idea that people are like campaigning for the fucking Snyder, like Zack Snyder to me is a sort, sort of like a three star director. I, I don't really understand it. But having said that, from what you've described there as being, you know, just a superhero good time, if it's not thuddingly boring, then that's enough for me as far as we are with uh, superhero movies at this point. So yeah, maybe, maybe if I can, um, if I can carve out an evening, I should sit through it. And then I should see if we've come to the same conclusions about the Snyder cut compared to the original cut compared to the state of play in terms of uh, superhero movies. Yeah. I'd be intrigued to see, I'd be intrigued to hear your thoughts for sure. Uh, The complete opposite end of the scale, Paul, is my next movie, uh, which is an hour and 20 minutes long and is called uh, The Argument. This one directed by Robert Schwartzman. The surname is familiar because this is Jason Schwartzman's brother. And they're, of course, in this knotted family that connects them to Francis Ford Coppola, Sophia Coppola, of course, uh, Nick Cage and so on. But uh, back to the film itself, The Argument's uh, director, he's directed a couple of movies already, like Indies, Dreamland and The Unicorn. I haven't seen either of them. I didn't have any expectations coming into this other than knowing that Danny Pudi, who of course is in Community, uh, is one of the leads here. Uh, The basic setup of this thing is uh, fairly high concept, I guess. There is a dinner party where a group of couples meet up and then during the course of the evening, things sort of... um, converge on a point where there's a rather explosive disagreement and rather than just move on from this disagreement they decide amongst them that the only way they're going to get past the disagreement is by reliving the events of the evening to see what actually led to this disagreement and if it could have been avoided or what they could have done differently it's a sort of interesting drama class exercise um it doesn't fully justify an hour and 20 minute long film in my opinion i mean the performances here are decent but this sort of chamber piece like it relies so much on brilliant acting and brilliant writing and i think what you've got is like decent writing and mainly decent acting and that's why even though it's sub an hour and a half it gets a bit tired around about the hour mark and you just think there's maybe not enough here. This could have been a television episode. Um, but that one's the argument. It is on Sky Cinema at present. What have you got next, Paul? Escape from Pretoria, uh, which came out last year, I think. Um, possibly theatrical and possibly not, but I don't, I don't know anymore. Um, but this is directed by um, Francis Anand, starring Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Webber and Ian Hart. Um, this is based on a real-life prison break of two um, white political um, South African uh, captives who basically campaigned, white campaigners against apartheid. Um and that's kind of the backdrop, the backdrop for this film. This really took me by surprise, Pete. I thought this was superb. I, I haven't seen, I'll be honest, it's been a long time since I've watched a prison break drama or thriller. Um, not particularly avoided them, but I haven't, this is just such a tight, tight film. Like there's not, I, I would say there's not really a, a minute of wasted screen time here. I thought Daniel Radcliffe was great. The accents are okay. It's a difficult accent to nail for the course of a whole film, I can imagine. Um, or full stop it indeed. Um, but yeah, I just thought this was a really, really tight, really well-paced um, prison thriller that is just kind of stripped back, bare to the bones, felt kind of old school in its in its execution, um, knew exactly what it wanted to do and did it and was just relentlessly entertaining for an hour and 45 minutes. Um, and I'm not going to say much more than that, really. I thought it was great. It's a lot of fun and I highly recommend this one if you haven't checked it out yet. Yeah, as I said before we started recording today, I... Uh... 
I tried to go back to back on a rewatch of Blood Diamond followed by uh, Escape from Pretoria and I didn't I didn't I just decided to uh, to drop out early doors on Escape from Pretoria not because from Pretoria not because it was bad just because I'd slightly OD'd on sort of ropey South African accents but I am a big <laughs> fan of the prison break drama so I've got every um, every sort of willingness and every intention of, of watching in the future so yeah I'll get back to you when I've had the chance to uh to yeah, finish you should, it you should it's on amazon prime at the moment as well for listeners at home you haven't you haven't caught up with it yet like well worth it check it out so last one because we're limited to four this week for me is moxie moxie one that we were going to cover as a feature and then it just didn't work out on the show but this one directed by amy poller and i was thinking is this amy poller's feature film um debut but it no. isn't the last one that she made is this film called wine country that i did talk about on the show i think kind of no one cared and it didn't get reviewed particularly well but i quite liked that film did you see that no, I, again, when I remember reviewing the Moxie for Letterboxd, I started with like strong debut from Amy Poehler, and I was like, oh no, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think Wine Country's a, a good laugh, um, and I would sort of soft recommend that to people. Um, it's a group of women getting drunk. It's a little bit like Sideways, but with maybe more jokes and less pathos. But um, we've got here Moxie, um, the the film in question. Which is, yeah, of course, Amy Poehler directing and then the lead, uh, I guess, normally the lead, Hadley Robinson is the actress playing her daughter, Vivian. So uh, Poehler herself plays the mother to this girl in the movie. And the idea is essentially that we've got a high school setup where um, there are things going on on campus, as you hear about in real life and also see depicted in movies, such as bullying, such as sexual harassment, such as all kinds of pressure on women to be a certain way and do certain things and go to a certain base and so on. And there is a, a moment at which, influenced by her mother's former glories in the sort of 70s and 80s as a punk, and well, I should say 70s and 80s, more like 80s and 90s, as a punk, as a rebel, she picks up on a bunch of bands like um, Slater Kinney come up, for example, but like sort of riot girl bands. And the daughter decides that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring about a sort of um, quiet revolution on the campus here through the medium of distributing what's like a fanzine, like a cut up fanzine as people used to make back in the day, photocopying it herself, putting it out in the public bathrooms and getting this groundswell of support, particularly from women who feel like they should be treated better. And then the movie sort of arches across no, not only sexism, but also racism and various other issues um, it all sort of in interconnected. By the end of the movie, it all feels slightly too convenient, slightly saccharine, slightly, um, I, I guess, uh, I, it too cosily brought together with a sort of bow on top. But before we get there, I think quite a lot of this material is quite good and I quite enjoyed it and I thought it was pretty entertaining. I mean, you've seen this as well, Paul, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm basically with you, to be honest. I thought it was uh, really enjoyable. I think the performance, there was some charming performances. I really like the cast. Um, there's some funny moments. There is some sort of bittersweet moments. And I thought that, you know, it was a, it's a strong message. It was, I, I get the message it was trying to bring and I think it's, um, I think I said in my review at the time, it's just like, okay, well, this, you know, we've tried being subtle with, we've tried being subtle with, with how to deal with, sort of, especially with toxic masculinity in this case, and sort of the treatment of women. And this film isn't subtle. And I think maybe, maybe the time has, 
the time is done done now to stop being subtle with how kind of art and films address this and moxie is certainly not subtle um and i think that's to its strength to be honest so no i, I really liked it i thought it was powerful and it needed to be yeah kind of agree on maybe a bit too much of a neat wrap up but i still think it was a, a strong yeah and it, and it feels like one of those where it's easy to sort of jab at the way that it's brought together but at the same time if you put this on for a target demographic that are a similar age to the girls in the movie, I think that becomes somewhat of a non-issue. So yeah, I, I liked it enough, man. I don't think it's going to like make my films of the year list or anything like that, but I think it's perfectly good. And I think, um, yeah, there, there are a few, I mean, there could have been a few more laughs perhaps here and there, but um, you know, all things considered, not bad. The last two Amy Pollard directed movies, not bad. Neither one of them brilliant, but I think she's going to make more stuff. So, um, you know, she's got friends in high places and, uh, you know, talent to spare. So we'll look out for that stuff. Anything more from you, Paul? Uh, yeah, just one last one from me, which is a film that must have sat on my blue shelf for i was thinking 10 years but the film isn't 10 years old so it's not been 10 years probably six to seven years this is andrew bajowski's uh computer chess which you've said good things about directed that i'm aware of um godfather of mumblecore uh thanks wikipedia when i looked him up earlier um as he's known as um in some parts um but yeah i've been looking forward to this one for quite a while i had no idea what to expect from it i had no idea kind of the premise of it or, or really what the film was about other than the title um just wow this is i'm a fan of dry comedy um without a doubt and this is one of the driest films driest sort of comedic films i think i've ever watched like it's got a bit of this Amanda Iannucci vibe, there's a bit of an office vibe to it, but possibly even drier than that. Um, the premise of this is it's a, it's a 1980s set story. It's a fictional film kind of made to look like a documentary about um, a man versus machine, well, kind of man versus machine chess tournament or machine versus computer chess tournament. So there are um, computer chess programs playing other computer chess programs for to try to earn the right to ultimately play a chess a grand a chess grandmaster at the end of this weekend tournament um it's just it's great I, I really really i really really took to it kind of from the opening minutes the, the comedy's awkward the performances are, are all incredibly awkward like the the characters are are fantastic here there's moments of of just absolute sort of bizarre fast thrown into the mix um which on top of this dry subject matter are just great um and the ending is it's is second to none it's an absolutely incredibly incredibly out there and very very funny film um so yeah it won't be to everyone's taste if if you like your humor a bit more obvious and it's not it's not a criticism of anyone uh then probably stay away from this one but if you like it if you like a sort of dry awkward sense of humor then computer chess comes very very computer as i've just said computer chess comes very very highly recommended and and i would only tag on to that as do um following the sort of following feature films from the same director so results from 2015 with guy pierce and kobe smolders is great and that's like a satire on gym culture and, and really really sharp and then support the girls from just a couple of years ago um which is all about the machinations of people shift he wrote lady the lady in the tramp i've actually yeah that's like. that's you know true that? as well yeah, yeah. one of those weird <laughs> yeah. ones like uh your guy who made Made a ghost story and then pete's dragon or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah yeah both of those good as well check them out um and i don't know about the lady in the tramp remake have you seen that it was all right i, I didn't no, hate it fair enough honest. well there you go um, yeah. i was pleasantly pleasantly There's surprised a whole bunch of recommendations in there somewhere <laughs> cool well that brings us to the end of popcorn movies so we will bounce out for a moment and then we'll be right back with feature reviews a double feature this week after this
So here we are back with uh, the first feature review of this week. Uh, this is the Mauritanian from director Kevin McDonald. Pete, um, as we have tried twice and failed to set this one up, do you want to give it a crack? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th those things never happen. They're lost <laughs> to history. Uh, yeah, so Kevin McDonald, first of all, the director here that people will know from sort of, um, I guess, documentary work like recently Whitney but a long time ago a fine documentary by the name of Touching the Void but um, also I guess more sort of serious-ish drama stuff like Black Sea or The Eagle for example uh, here brings us the Mauritanian about the plight of one uh, Mohamedou Ould Slahi played by uh, Tahar Rahim. Tahar Rahim of course best known uh, from A Prophet I, I would guess as a sort of breakout where at least in our part of the world people people took notice of this guy but he is a man who is dragged away from his family or at least taken away from his family early doors in the movie because he is accused of being heavily involved in the planning um, if not execution of the uh, September 11th attacks on the Twin Towers in New York and it seems as though he received correspondence a call or contact from um, Osama bin Laden himself in the lead up to that horrendous event. And so he is taken away for what initially seems to be uh, questioning and then jump forward a few years. He's been de detained at Guantan Guantanamo Bay, of course, in Cuba for an extended period of time with no end in sight. In step, a pair of legal aides, uh, lawyers played by um, here... Um, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, Sh excuse me, I've lost the name. And Shailene Woodley, yeah, thank you. So Jodie Foster is the senior of the two. Shailene Woodley, uh, younger, up and coming in her profession. And they've got an interest in human rights. They've got an interest in making sure that people in Guantanamo are treated correctly um, or as, you know, as well as, as can be. And more so an interest in clearing this guy's name and getting him back to his family because that, to their mind, seems to be the right thing. Um, and from that point, we go... Backwards and forwards in time, we stay with uh, the Slahi character in the time that he is um, preparing for his trial and his legal defence and flashing back to what it was like while he was building up to and in uh, Guantanamo Bay. More on our thoughts related to the Mauritanian after this little clip. None of that happened. You signed them. They made me. They made you as in they coerced you? What, what do you think? I don't know. You tell me. They coerced Shh. you? Shh. You got to tell me what happened, Mahabadu. You, you, you asked me to set fire to this place, but I'm still sitting. Let me write it down. All right, that's what the pages are for. Write it down. You need to tell me the truth. You need to tell me what happened to you. I, I can't defend you. Do you I, understand that? I don't that? need to tell you nothing. Whatever I say, it doesn't matter. This fucking island, I'd die here! So, yeah, thanks for the setup, Pete. Yeah, this is kind of comfortable comfortable territory for Kevin MacDonald, I would say, um, in terms of the kind of films that he's directed. Um, Last King of Scotland comes to mind as well in, in terms of kind of looking at his you know historical figures um, and and political dramas. Um, my first thoughts uh, would be, I'm just going to give a one-word review and then move on to Godzilla vs. Kong. No, 
I thought this was solid. I'll be honest. I thought it was. I think uh, Kevin McDonald is is a, certainly a, a solid, a, a sound director, um, and I think he handles this material well. Um, I've really, really, really liked Tahir Rahim in this. I thought he is that he's absolutely incredible here. Um, the kind of vulnerability he brings to his character, I think, is, is absolutely superb. Um, supporting cast are all fine. Benedict Cumberbatch, I thought, was possibly a little bit miscast. He plays um, like the, he's a he's a senior military officer, kind of. Um, employed to to prosecute yeah he's like a like a military prosecutor yeah. isn't he yeah. yeah so he's kind of told to make a case against and make a case against this guy um and i i just thought it was, i thought it was a really well well put together quite powerful film in places and i think it kind of made me kind of at the end of it it kind of made me sort of sit and take stock to go fucking hell people are shit sometimes because this you know there was no evidence against this guy there was nothing ever proved um and they just sort of held him against his will for years and years and years and i think that a lot of that you know the sympathy comes down to that a i'm a person and b tahir rahim's performance was just was just superb here and i i enjoyed it for me it's the kind of it's the kind of mid-budget uh hollywood films that that hollywood are very good at um that you don't see a lot of anymore and i think that's a shame um so i i liked it i'm not sure you were as keen but no i mean i didn't not i I didn't like it that much um i don't know i i think that i need to separate two things first of all is the taha rahim issue which is that he is really good here He's really good, as you've said. I mean, he's the standout. He's the reason to watch the movie. He's the reason not to give this one a miss, in my opinion. I think Jodie Foster's fine, but it's it's hard to cleave away with someone like Jodie Foster, who's so politically outspoken. The fact that the film might be setting out with its sort of didactic foot forward and it's going to be a sort of preachy, liberal Hollywood, uh, you know, takedown on a target as obvious as mistreatment in Guantanamo Bay. So I suppose putting that to one side for a second... We've got yeah this brilliant central performance. Um, then, aside from the engage, because it's I shouldn't skip over it like this. Like it's all the stuff he does. There's a sequence early in the movie where uh, Raheem just gets to respond with like his face and movements of his face, and he doesn't say a word. And you have an absolutely clear understanding of the kind of emotional turmoil that's inside him at the time, the kind of stages of uh, processing what's going on that he's going through. And all of that is done by the actor. It's brilliant work. And it, to my mind, Paul, it just deserved a slightly better movie. I think mm. around it, you've got, yeah, Jodie Foster, who's fine. She's fine. Uh, she's been certainly a lot better in the past elsewhere, but she's fine. And then we've got Shailene Woodley, who... I was thinking about this and I don't want to come down sort of hard because I think Shailene Woodley, again, is fine. She does seem to me, though, to be one of these actresses who is now established as a sort of go-to for maybe slightly troubled but sort of reliable pair of hands um, work, serious work, dramatic work. And I don't know that I totally get it with her. I, I, I don't. I think I've I've sort of vacillated a little bit and I just come down on the side of feeling like she's a bit underpowered. And then when you put her alongside Jodie Foster with the screenplay here, the pair of them bring very little, I think, in terms of sort of energy or interest for me. So these meetings that they have with this suspect they lean so heavily on the work that Tahar Rahim is doing in the scene that it just feels lopsided, um, unfortunately. And then, I don't know, procedurally as it goes along, I, it just never did anything that felt particularly rich or interesting with the material. 
and sort of 20 years removed from 9-11 and the majority of those years removed from the main discussion of Abu Ghraib and uh, Guantanamo, it doesn't mean for a second that I advocate forgetting those things, leaving them past, moving off them. But creators need to do something more than this, in my opinion, which is just sort of, you know, techniques we use. I mean, like Zero Dark Thirty came out, what, seven years, six years ago mm. and did and did more and better than this does. And so, like, it sounds like I'm slamming the movie just for not being better movies. But I think that's relevant when there's been a lot made post 9-11, surrounding 9-11, terror suspects, detainees, um, you know, human rights, uh, freedoms and so on, that, that it just, a film like this being kind of middling feels worse to me than other kinds of films being middling. Like, I think a film like Moxie is kind of middling, honestly. Good, but middling. But to me, the stakes are lower, in a sense. Not that there aren't very serious issues at the heart of that movie to some extent as well. But yeah, I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm being too harsh on this one. Because like I say, I thought the central performance was brilliant. Um, I think Kevin McDonald's fine. I think still touching the void is the best thing he's ever done. And I mean, that was a Talking Heads documentary. So maybe that's not the greatest accolade that you could give the guy. But what am I missing? Like, I, what am I missing? Other than that it was like a well-made I don't procedural. know, maybe... Uh, I, I, I kind of see where you're coming from. I, I don't think it was like... Uh, you know, I don't want to drift into star ratings. It's not going to hit It's not going to hit my films of the year list, I don't think. But I just thought it was... Yeah, it just... I, for me, I just think it filled a gap in in a fairly... In a, a fairly an intelligent, well-written, in my opinion, um, adult thriller you don't tend to see a lot of anymore um and i think that's it kind of filled a gap for me and i think we just don't see enough of these films now because they don't they're, they're very rarely funded and weirdly i read an interview with ken mcdonald where he said that on a film of this size they were having to cut corners and cut costs because they were struggling for money which is insane <laughs> like absolutely insane when you look at the you know the talent they've got and the, the big names they've got in this cast um but no i just i, I really really enjoyed it it's just a film that yeah, it's just a, the type of film I don't think I've seen for a while. Um, certainly not come out as a brand new release anyway. And I, what, I think what, it, it what was the Adam me. Driver movie from about a year or two ago? The Report. It was. I haven't seen we, the Report yet. I have oh, to say. okay, okay. Maybe that's that's piled on with my feeling about this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and and I suppose to some degree something like uh, and you'll understand the link. Uh, Dark Waters, the Mark yes. Ruffalo thing. Not because it's the same subject matter, but because again, it's like boxes of case files, redacted documents. You know, a drama played out through. But I through really enjoyed that as well. Face. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I've got a, maybe I've got a thing for box files <laughs> maybe that's it maybe that's it yeah box file movies that's what, i thought i liked big monster movies but it turns out i like films with box files in so um yeah whole series there called the box foot no moving on <laughs> yeah i i just i don't know i just felt it was it was a bit of um yeah just a bit uh, maybe the word is underpowered i don't know but I, that's coming to mind and i'm not sure um both in terms of performances aside from Taharahim, because I agree with you, I think Benedict Cumberbatch... Amazing, like incredible in this. <laughs> Amazing, and also the point you made that like Benedict Cumberbatch to me, you, you, he's supposed to be at one point sort of like a tough guy. And I just, I just don't, I just don't buy that at all. No, I'm not buying him as like a US military type. It's just, no. Yeah, he, it just, he doesn't fit into that skin. It's it's weird. Um, And then, yeah, Shailene Woodley and Jodie Foster, I don't know. I mean, Jodie Foster's first build in this thing and... and it's not. It's not that she's bad. It's just that pff, there's not. There's not. Not much to get your teeth into with with the performance. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being sort of a gloomy and negative. But um, 
I, I don't regret having seen this one and I would turn other people onto it too. But from my side, it would be 90% because of the Taha Rahim performance at his centre. Yeah, I would say I, I liked it more than you. But again, the main reason to recommend it is the Taha Rahim performance with it, without a doubt. Um, I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Um, I thought it was solid. Um, but I would recommend it probably more than you from the sound of it. Um, yeah. Let's leave it well, <laughs> let's let's leave it at that and then we'll smash the whole place up in a minute because we'll come back after this little break with a massive great review of Godzilla versus Kong after this. So I'm very excited to be talking about this film. And this is Godzilla versus Kong from one of my favourite directors, Adam Wingard, featuring two of my favourite things in the whole world. Uh, two very famous giant monsters, three very famous giant monsters, in fact, but we'll get there perhaps. Although it's, it's been it's out there now. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong, one of my most anticipated films of the year. Uh, Pete, we talked off air. I want you to try and set up the story of this film. <laughs> right, I, I will have a go and then you tell me where I've gone wrong. So uh, first of all, to say, um, you know, we're a, we're a pair of fairly big fans of Adam Wingard, the director here, who has been given the, the keys to the castle on this one. Uh, the director, of course, of, of Your Next, of The Guest, which I think is one of the films that we buzzed about most early on in the so early yeah. days of the podcast. Superb, and then superb film. the really, really, in my opinion, and I think yours as well, Paul, the really good remake of Blair Witch. Um, pe yeah. More people should check it out and give it a bit more respect, I think. But uh, yeah, Wingard now finds himself directing Godzilla versus Kong. And of course, we've had Kong movies of late and uh, we've also had uh, Godzilla appearances of late. So what direction was Wingard going to go with this? Well, the direction that he seems to have gone in is strip everything down and give the people what they want. And what they want is a, is a massive dust up between Godzilla and Kong. And we get that. But before that, we get a plot which, and, and bear with me, involves um, the need to transport Kong on a ship in order to take him to an entrance hole which will allow a drop into hollow earth hollow earth within the earth's center at which the gravitational poles are reversed and meet one another at that point he will have the opportunity to retake his throne with his mighty axe which will send out an energy beam which will interact with the spines on the back of Godzilla and ultimately Kong will be needed in order to counter the threat posed by Godzilla leading to a confrontation that may also lead to a bit of teamwork. What are the major things that I missed out, Paul? It's not too far off, except that there is a villainous corporation, Apex Corporation, who is trying is. to harness the power of the, um, what did we call it? The, the Hidden Earth? Hollow Earth. Hollow Earth, that's it. I'm the fan, I forgot. Um, yeah, it's hard to harness the power in the Hollow Earth so they can power something else. I mean, we could spoil it. We won't. We will spoil it here. Spoiler warning. So then they, so Apex can power Mecha Godzilla, who is in the original Japanese uh, Godzilla films, because they decide that they should be the dominant, the dominant predators on the planet, not Godzilla. Um, yeah. So yeah, you've you've not got too far off the mark. Here's a clip of some monsters shouting at each other. <laughs> Ah! 
so uh, chaos ensues, obviously, as you've probably caught there. Uh, in leading roles, we should say, because I didn't say before the jump, we've got Alexander Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall as trailed on this show and obviously in the trailer itself um, weeks ago now. And uh, Millie Bobby Brown, of course, who is a sort of rising star, uh, whether I like it or not, probably. Um, she teams up with, amongst others, that kid who lived the Skucks life, whatever he's called, from uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, I enjoy his company quite a lot. Uh, Isa Gonzalez is also incredibly beautiful in this and with much better hair than she had <laughs> yeah. in uh, I Care A Lot. Not that that's the, the main point here. Kyle Chandler crops up, as does Lance Reddick. Uh, there are a number of big names uh, involved in the production, but we should really get into what we think about this. And what I wanted to start off with, Paul, is Early in the movie, I went this way. I thought, I like Adam Wingard and I really like that he's chosen to do things in the way that he does early on, which is cutting away a lot of the fat and making this thing lean and making it about the things that you want to see. Here's, you know, not, not huge amounts of dialogue exposition for the most part, but a lot of just... A visual flourish, a lot of time with Kong and eventually quite a lot of time with Godzilla as well, whilst retaining enough of the kind of ballast to keep this thing from completely caving in on itself as just a big CGI pile of rubble. What did you think about the, the direction that it was taken early on? I mean, it comes close. There is, you can't argue that. It does come close to that. I mean, look, you put Godzilla and Kong on the screen and I was probably going to always enjoy this film. So, you know, I like Godzilla King of Monsters and I know that's not a great film. But I, I'm i with you. I think uh, it feels like maybe there's a longer cut out there where there's more human interaction, there's more backstory, perhaps. Um, but I, I'm complete, I completely agree with you. Adam Wingard has just gone full bore, utter, utter nonsense on this. And that is, I say that in a good way, beautiful, bombastic, utter nonsense. Like... The absolute chaos that ensues. You've got the, the sci-fi spaceships jumping at the speed of nearly at the speed of sound through to the center of the earth. It do, it's a film that doesn't give a fuck. Like it just picks you up, takes you on just an insane two-hour ride, and then puts you back down and go, "There you go, we've, we're done with you now." And that for me is what this film succeeded at. And it doesn't even try to take itself seriously. It doesn't try to be anything other than. Godzilla versus Kong and a giant robot Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla, and that's what I really respected about Wingard's approach to this. Is I don't think there's there's a few reviews I've read have said there's kind of too many human characters in it. They don't get enough to do. I don't think it's a huge problem here in the same way that it was in Godzilla King of Monsters because I don't think the cast have a lot to do. But I don't feel that I really noticed. Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah, I I know what you. I can kind of see it both ways because there's no performance in this where I go like that actor slash actress was excellent, <laughs> but they were there. Yeah. I remember them being in it. And Julian Dennison is the name of the Skucks Life kid. Uh, yeah. I I forgot about. And Brian Tyree. Brian Tyree Henry is in there too. Brian Tyree Henry's in there as well. And we have talked this far about the movie and we haven't said anything about sign language because it's pretty important. The the small girl who's in the movie who seems to have developed this relationship with Kong in the kind of containment center within Skull Island. Another touch that I really liked, by the way, like the, I don't know if that's canon or the kind of shit that I should run by you before I talk about it, but like having that containment area that feels kind of um, Truman Show-esque, 
where they're keeping yeah. keeping Kong. Uh, really cool. And like, yeah, the fact that she's able to interact with uh, Kong without being in immediate danger. And there's this really great establishing, in my opinion, establishing of the sort of softness of Kong early on, despite his size and, and destructive ability. And then just the sort of terror and awe when confronted with Godzilla, which I think for a film like this, it sounds like a really weird word to use, but I think it's done relatively subtly, to be honest. Uh, the, that establishing work, which I think is a real credit to the director. In, and I, maybe it's not something I've heard too much, but like that struck me anyway, watching this thing. Yeah, and I, th I think you're right. I think they kind of, you know, from the trailer, it was, it's not always, up. I mean, they've, they've kind of put Godzilla in the heel role here and, and framed Kong as the good guy, but they've done it pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and and I think really effectively. And I mean, the fact that we were sitting there, my wife just went, "Fucking God, Kong can sign." Like he knows all of sign language. Oh, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, whatever, yeah. just roll with it." He just home. can. Home. Um, and it's it's little <laughs> it's little things like that where you just go, "This is great." Like it's just right, Kong can sign. There's not a whole like twenty minutes of them of like Monarch saying how they taught Kong to sign. It's just Kong can sign. Deal with yeah. it. Um, and and I like that as well. And like, yeah, you're right. When he's tied up on the boat, you can see him getting increasingly more agitated as Godzilla's coming for him. Um, and that bit was cool. And like, I'm Team Godzilla, like without a doubt. But I kind of I was rooting for Kong more than I thought I would be. I'll be honest with mm. this one. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think the, you know, the and that's down to yeah the the way Wingard's framed this. And the special effects work here is absolutely magnificent. Um, the film looks incredible. Yeah. Um, Kong especially because Kong's harder. I imagine would be harder to animate than Godzilla because he's a very oh the hair uh, detail Kong. man is the, the hair detail is, is fantastic and yeah and he's you know he's he's not just a, a random monster he shows expression um, and he's a character in his own right I think so yeah and I'm I'm totally with you on that one yeah right and and uh, funnily enough uh, earlier today I was watching the '98 version of Godzilla uh, for my sins and. Uh, yes, Ooh. CGI has come on a great deal, man, <laughs> since since then, my goodness. Um, but yes, I, I just wanted to add to what we were saying before. Yeah, like even just shots for me, like individual shots like Kong, as you mentioned, tied up on the boat and the way the camera sort of pulls away and there's like a sunset shot there. Even earlier on on Skull Island, there's a bit of a nod to the Skull Island movie in terms of the way that it's shot, in terms of the look of the monster. Like that, it feels like it's of a piece with that movie and then just goes... Well, it is a sequel. Yeah, you no, know, but I understand it's a sequel, yeah. but I mean in terms of like visual um, connection yeah, to that sorry, okay, yeah. is what I mean. But yeah, but then on the sort of silly end, I guess, and there's a lot of silly end that we can get to, Adam Wingard has watched both the Truman Show that I mentioned before and also the uh, Hilary Swank movie, The Core, surely, because that's the last movie that I go to when I think of <laughs> let's burrow ships into the centre of the earth for some reason. Um, and in this case, it's to get to a sort of um, anti-gravity slash reverse gravity scenario in which we get to see Kong floating upwards and then landing on his feet on effectively the upper part slash ceiling, if you will, of an area, which is visually engaging. I'm, I'm not convinced that that hollow earth section is the strongest part of the movie. What do you think? Uh, it looks great. Yeah. 
Um, it, it does look superb. Um, it's absolutely bonkers. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think, you know, that's the kind of point where it will pro- the film will probably lose a lot of people. Um, it's referenced, because I've watched the, the Monsterverse again fairly recently, it is referenced as to how Godzilla kind of travels around the planet in the God, in Godzilla King of Monsters. Um, but I think that's the point where I'll, there will be some people that will go, this is rubbish, I'm turning it off. Um, because it, Because there is... I think as much as for me it's the strength it's one of the film's strengths for a lot for some people I think it will prove to be one of the film's weaknesses like there's a lot you're just expected just to take as a given like that this hollow earth thing exists that these these ships that travel there tra- travel faster than the speed of sound as I said like there's all these like there's all this sorry for want of a better description and I don't mean this in a bad way just sci-fi nonsense that I think a lot of people will switch off to because there's no effort there's real no effort effort made really to justify these things existence in the plot for me that's a strength yeah. that's exactly what oh, I, wanted. I agree man um, I agree I think that you know it, it, it is a bit gory like when I say about the uh, hollow earth part it's not like oh it defies belief or something like that I, I couldn't care less the movie is called Godzilla <laughs> versus Kong and when people will start getting sniffy about the the implausibility of the stuff it's kind of ridiculous to me but yeah I, I I like that the director here and the team decide that these things are going to happen and you're just going to come along for the ride and so you can strap in or not but yeah no I I agree with you I think that's to its strength I, I just felt sort of um I guess in terms of its thrust it does grind to a bit okay. of a slower speed there um in terms of its sort of propulsion towards its finale but uh yeah, but not long after that happens, Godzilla burrows through to the core of the Earth with his radioactive radiation breath. Yes, so... that's true. That is true. Um, and we know, we know where this thing's going. We know that it's going to be, you know, a, a throwdown. It's going to be a a battle for the ages. Uh, and just endless buildings are going to be destroyed. Just thousands of people are going to be obliterated, surely, here. I mean, the scale of destruction is quite something towards the, the third act of this movie. I mean, for, to be fair, from the first from the first confrontation on the on the ships, the scale of destruction is fantastic. Um, I just think, yeah, and this, you know, this is where the film absolutely delivers, is in its effect shots. I think the film looks incredible; like it's it's beautifully done. Adam Wingard loves neon, and that's that's all that's all on display here, which is great. Um, and then, like the the three way fight at the end with Kong, Godzilla, and Mechagodzilla is all you could want from a monster film, in my opinion. I mean, I, I rented this. I've cranked my sound system up loud. So the next best thing to a cinema. But I will certainly be, hopefully, when cinemas do reopen, this will get a run because this needs a big screen and a massive sound system. But as a piece of spectacle cinema, it does not fuck around. Um, it it really doesn't. It knows, as you say, it knows what people want and it delivers it. And, the, you know, the fact that they brought Mechagodzilla into it, for me or any other fans of the old Godzilla movies... I thought there was no chance of something that outlandish and that silly coming into these films, especially after you watched the first, the Gareth Edwards Godzilla, which is slightly more grounded than the sequels, I would say. Um, so the fact that they've doubled down with um, with Mechagodzilla, for me as a fan, was great. Um, it's just absolute chaos towards the end. But beautiful, bombastic nonsense, I think, uh, would be a good way to describe this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I think that... Um, it... <laughs> I don't know. I think already I was predisposed to liking it more than not because of the person who'd been given the, the director's seat for for this thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I always get with this type of movie, I guess movies of this ilk, 
I always get a certain level of like fatigue just because there's so much, like just so much of so much and so much CGI and so much kind of, you know, uh, combat that is kind of obviously scripted and you kind of know where it's going and I can get kind of fatigued by it. Having said that, I didn't feel that way for very much of the runtime here. And a lot of it, I was just... No, do you know why, Pete? Because it's the first blockbuster in ages that's been two hours. Yeah. So many of them have been two and a half. It's not two and a half hours long. So many recent big budget Hollywood films, a lot of the superhero films tick over the two hour yeah. mark. This was almost bang on the two hour it's mark. A, it's an hour, so it's an hour 53. And if you take out the credits and stuff, it's probably about an hour 45 or so. So yeah, you're right. That that does make a difference. And and I'm grateful for it. And more films need to snip that little bit extra off if possible, I think. But yeah, I just, I kind of grinned for a lot of it, man. And I had a good time. And I thought like you, I would definitely, definitely get myself down the IMAX or whatever if they can uh, throw this up when the cinemas are opened in a month or so. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I to be honest, as I said I was excited and it didn't disappoint. It gave me exactly what I expected and exactly what I wanted. So yeah, it's a, it's a big two thumbs up from me. Sure. nice well uh, before we end the show for this week and we promise we won't be another four or five weeks before the next one uh, we have got one final section which is the credit section in which we can give credit to something from the world of films or outside of the world of films that has come across our radars in the last well in this case month um paul anything in particular for you that you'd like to give a shout out to uh, yes, this is Superstore, uh, which is currently streaming all five seasons of it. I believe there's a sixth season that's airing in the States at the moment. All five seasons are currently streaming on Netflix. Um, and I'd say five of the six seasons are currently streaming on Netflix. It's a sitcom, I believe, created by a guy called Justin Spitzer, starring America Ferreira, uh, Ben Feldman, um, Colton Dunn's in this, Nico Santos. Faces you probably recognise from other places, um, for sure. Um it's just a whole lot of fun. It's a super. It's set in like a big supermarket or big box store, as the US calls them. It's just very, very silly, very, very funny. At season one, I kind of half watched, and then ended by the by the end of season one, I found I found myself really, really getting into it. There's some incredible characters. It's very, very good natured. It's very, very silly. It's very, very funny. Um, and I would highly recommend it. It's, it's five seasons of it on Netflix at the moment. 22-minute episodes as well, so it's like the perfect running time. America Ferreira and um, Ben Feldman have some of the best chemistry I've seen on screen for a long time. Is this kind of will-they-won't-they they couple? You've kind of seen a lot of this stuff before, but it's just very, very well done, um, and I really, really enjoy it. It's a very charming comedy. Um, so if you haven't caught up with Superstore yet, I implore everyone to do so. And stick with it because it gets a lot better in season two. Well, I'll keep it Netflix, Paul, because, you know, they need our help. Um, <laughs> for me, I, I am actually going to go uh, against the grain and, and put a film as my uh, credits this okay. time. Because... Um, That's what I happens when we limit popcorn movies, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Uh, this one is uh, a movie that I saw quite a, a while ago, fortunately for myself, but is now on Netflix. And I think I talked about it in popcorn movies a, a while back. But Bad Trip, the stupid stupid eric andre um, kind of road movie come um prank public prank thing um yeah think like what's that jackass spin-off like bad grandpa or whatever yeah. it's called yeah uh, that kind of thing uh pranking people getting sort of live uh action re reactions in the street and whatnot uh lil rel howley and eric andre go on a road trip to try to 
reunite Eric Andre with the the one that slipped through the net, the girl that got away. Um, and on in the course of that journey, they encounter uh, none other than Tiffany Haddish uh, and more fun and frolics. And uh, if you already know that you don't like the stuff that Eric Andre does, then steer clear because you'll hate this. <laughs> if you like, um, yeah, just kind of public stupidity like I do, then I think you'll get a kick out of it. And uh, as I say, it's on Netflix now. So I think you should check it out when, you know, you don't want anything that's going to be working your brain too hard, but is possibly going to make you chuckle. So um, yeah, that one's a bad trip. Paul, anything else for this week? No, it's good to be back. Uh, I've enjoyed the show. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next, let's stay next week. Let's do this. Yes, <laughs> let's do it. Let's put a marker down now. We'll be back next week. And Jack's going to get this up very, very shortly. So you'll be listening to it hot off the press and yeah we'll be back in in seven days time in between now and then though hit us up if you want to uh we're available obviously on all the social media normal social media channels particularly on twitter at uh, strangers cinema is the address there you can find our individual handles if you check us out on twitter too um apart from that i think we're probably good yeah well good thanks for listening and we'll see you next week see ya